Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 24. The Sunset Hour. After the first time, Miss Cynthia steadfastly refused to go to Chandler's house again, but insisted that he should come to her as was right and proper. Judith went to the city and selected a wheelchair for him that could be used upon the street. The day it came, he went out of his little yard for the first time in twenty-five years. Apart and more alone than ever, Judith watched the two, so strangely brought together after many years. Forgetting the silver that shone fitfully in Chandler's hair and made a crown of glory upon Miss Cynthia's beautiful head, they had magically become young again. With a queer little pain at her heart, Judith comprehended Miss Cynthia's intervals of absent-mindedness, when the wonderful eyes, softened with dreams and tears, looked at things they saw not, searching the far beyond for things they could not see. The situation had become reversed. Once, Miss Cynthia, lonely, though unselfish, had sat apart and communed with herself while the lovers were unconscious even of her remote existence. Now Judith spent solitary evenings in the upper room with only the fire for companionship, while the other two downstairs sat close together, with clasped hands bridging the empty and desolate years. Just as Judith had waited for Carter upon the upper balcony, Miss Cynthia sat there now, straining her eyes for the first glimpse of the wheelchair. Chandler always came to dinner, and even though the afternoon was cold, Miss Cynthia, in her white and silver coat, bade brave defiance to all Judith's warnings, and watched for her lover as was her woman's right. More beautiful than ever, Miss Cynthia literally radiated joy. Roses bloomed upon her cheeks again, as they had in years gone by. Her sweet voice, once high and clear, was filled with deep undertones of tenderness. The music of it thrilled Judith to the heart. It was so full of longing and appeal. Practical considerations appeared before Judith, but did not disturb Miss Cynthia at all. For instance, where were they to live? Chandler's house was small and inappropriate, and Miss Cynthia's double-decked mansion was hardly the place for a man who left his wheelchair only to be lifted into bed. Judith pondered through many a wakeful hour before the inspiration came to her. But would Aunt Cynthia go? The little old lady was extraordinarily self-willed. Would Chandler accept it? And yet, why not? Judith waited, fearing to speak. The golden afternoon was waning. Long purple shadows lay upon the valley while the last light lingered upon the hills. Flaming tapestries of sunset hung from the high walls of heaven, at once a death and a promise of resurrection. Miss Cynthia, closely wrapped in her splendor, sat facing it. She reminded Judith of a saint upon a stained-glass window, so radiant was she from the sunset and from the light within. 
Dear, said Judith softly, you'll have to have a wedding gown. Why? asked Miss Cynthia dreamily. Her eyes were fixed upon the road below. Everybody does, Judith answered with a little laugh. I'm not everybody, the old lady murmured. No, but you can't be married as though you weren't anybody. Will you let me go to town tomorrow and get you a wedding gown? White satin and lace veil and orange blossoms and everything else that goes with it. I don't know what you're talking about, Judith, the disturbed one remarked fretfully. Why should you prattle about white satin on a day like this? Do you see that wonderful sunset? Isn't it the most perfect day God ever made? And he's coming. He'll be here inside of half an hour. For that half hour you must be sensible, said Judith with affected sternness. She went to the little white and silver figure, lifted the saucy chin, and kissed the sweet lips. Would you mind telling me, dear, as woman to woman, what you intend to be married in? My purple velvet, said Miss Cynthia promptly. Dearest, it's impossible. Nothing is impossible in this world of miracles, my dear. We speak as though the days of magic were over, but they're not. Aunt Cynthia, your purple velvet is low-necked, isn't it? Somewhat. Do you consider it indecent? For daytime wear, yes. Unless you're going to be married in the evening, you can't wear it. I will if I want to. I'm going to be married in church as near a sunset as possible, and I'm going to wear my purple velvet. Why church? queried Judith. Why sunset? Why the velvet gown? Miss Cynthia turned to Judith with the air of a teacher about to turn a fountain of wisdom upon the parching minds of an eager class. Church? Because marriage is a religious ceremony and religion belongs to church. Indeed, most people keep theirs there exclusively. Sunset, because we're both in our declining years. Morning and high noon are not for people of fifty, are they? Besides, it's like that, pointing to the splendor in the west. The wonder and the glory at the close of a long, dull day. This is my hour. And the purple velvet, because it belongs with the sunset, and with me. And because I wore it, the night, that, that, she hesitated and dimpled in lovely confusion. Because I look like a real lady in it, don't I? She concluded with airy defiance. Oh, you darling, said Judith half to herself. Forgive me. You shall have all the purple velvet you want. I'll have the church upholstered with it if you say so. Not at all, said Miss Cynthia, disclaiming the offer with a wave of her hand. I'm a simple and modest person with quiet tastes. What are you going to give me for a wedding present? She inquired with childlike interest. Judith knelt beside the old lady's low chair. Haven't you guessed? Haven't you thought of the one thing I have to give you? The one thing that you ought to have? No, murmured Miss Cynthia. I haven't. She stood up for a moment, shading her eyes, but there were no signs of the approaching chair, so she settled back again. Where are you going to live, dear? I don't know. Any place. Both places. Under a red umbrella on the river bank. It doesn't matter. But it does. Guess, dearest. I can't. Don't torment me by making me use my mind when I don't want to. The House of Hearts said Judith softly. Miss Cynthia turned startled. No, she said. You mustn't. But I must, 
It's mine, isn't it? Besides, I've already deeded it to you, and you can't say a single word. She stopped the flood of protestations with a kiss. Miss Cynthia's eyes filled. The dear little house, she said half to herself. All for me, and for him. Yes, said Judith, choking back her own tears. Built for a bride, and to be given to the loveliest bride that ever was as a wedding gift from someone who loves her very, very much. Judith! Miss Cynthia lifted her arms, and the two wept together, as is the way of women when they are very, very happy. I can't believe it, sobbed Miss Cynthia. What a long, awful day I've had, and what a wonderful sunset I'm having now. Judith, do you think it's wrong for anybody to be so happy as I am? No, dear, it's perfectly right. Look, she pointed to the road below, you mustn't let him find you crying. No, said Miss Cynthia, rising and hurriedly wiping her eyes, I mustn't. She went down and was waiting for him at the door when the chair turned in at the gate. Judith walked back and forth slowly upon the veranda, glad she had given as she had. Carter would be glad, too, when he knew. She must write him a note and tell him. She had heard through Chandler and Miss Cynthia of the engagement, and also that Marjorie had chosen to live in town, where so much was going on all the time that one could never be dull. If the house had been built for Miss Cynthia and Chandler, it could not have been more suitable in every way. The low bungalow with only four or five steps to the porch and no stairs at all inside. She decided upon additional bookcases for the living room and den. Otherwise, she would finish it as she had meant to do long ago, and the few last touches should be those she had planned for herself, even to the pink and white chintz in one dressing room and the blue and white in the other. The name of the house was right, too, and the stationery, for which the dye had been made months previously, and the garden to be abloom with roses wherever roses could be made to grow. Strangely also, the verses belonged to Miss Cynthia and Chandler, who had come to their joy so late. Little sunset, house of hearts, standing all alone, I could come and sweep the leaves from your stepping-stone. I and he could light your fires, laughing at the rain. But, oh, it's far to happiness, a short way back again. It had been far to happiness for Miss Cynthia and Chandler, but because they had waited, it had come at last, with no shadows to divide or deny them, and no barriers to lie between. I'll wait too, said Judith to herself. If it's meant for me, it will come, and if it isn't, I don't want it. That night after dinner, when the fire was blazing in the fireplace in the downstairs living room, when Chandler's attendant was making merry in the kitchen with Miss Cynthia's household staff out of sight yet within call, when Judith, with the plea of an interesting book, had betaken herself to her lonely hearthstone upstairs, Miss Cynthia pushed a little footstool close to Chandler's chair and knelt upon it, leaning against him. In the little broken phrases she told him what Judith had done. She was stirred to the depths by the pity of it. Judith's own joy had so gone astray. The man said nothing. He only stroked his old sweetheart's silver hair. Isn't it wonderful? she asked. No, the deep voice answered. Nothing is wonderful but this. But it's part of this, isn't it, Martin? Surely, dear. Everything is, isn't it? Is there anything in the whole wide world that doesn't belong to this? Yes, pain and sorrow and waiting and hungry hearts, 
Those don't belong. We've had those, dearest. Have you forgotten? I've forgotten everything, sighed Miss Cynthia. That unspeakable horror, and that one dear hour together in the midst of it, and then the long waiting, then this. It's as if we'd died in the wreck, isn't it, and had gone straight on to heaven. Do you think heaven can be any more than this, or different? No. If God himself is love, what else can heaven be save immortality, with no fear of parting? Miss Cynthia leaned closer. There isn't much time left for us to be together, Martin. We've come to sunset now, and the night must be very near us. Have you thought of that? Yes, I've thought of it. But this isn't all. It can't be. Our mortal life is only the flaming arc of a circle, as someone has said, the rainbow between two silences. The rest of the circle is wrapped in shadow, so we cannot see or even guess what lies beyond, but the arc implies the circle, just as night means day if you look far enough into it. Yes, but sometimes, when I think of all we might have had... Hush, sweetheart. You must never think of that, nor must I. The things that are meant for us come to us when we are meant to have them. Dawn and high noon and the long days of struggle may be for the others, but sunset is for us, and twilight. And night, too, Martin. The long night out upon the circle, when the ark merges into it. Yes, dear. Together. Always together, darling. Never to be parted any more. He leaned forward and lifted her up into his arms as though she were a child. He kissed the full soft throat, the silvered hair, the dimpled hands, the wonderful dreamy eyes, and then the sweet lips, answering him with the rapture that follows long denial. Always together, she murmured again and the man's deep voice echoed, always. Carter's normal masculine conceit was somewhat injured by the fact that Judith had suggested a double wedding in the church when she found that Marjorie and Miss Cynthia had chanced to choose the same wedding day. Judith made all the plans for it, directed the decoration of the church, and ordered a wedding feast to be served at Miss Cynthia's with two cakes, one for each bride. Not forgetting Miss Cynthia's favorite poison ivy, but taking care to handle it with gloves, Judith had filled the church with autumn leaves, great boughs of gold and crimson, mingled with the russet of the oaks and trailing vines of gold and scarlet everywhere. The sunset streamed through the stained-glass windows, carrying the color of autumn into every nook and corner. The fragrance of it floated in through the open door to the murmur of drifted leaves. Upon the altar the yellow taper-lights gleamed like fallen stars. Mr. and Mrs. Warner, with Judith and the minister's wife, sat in the front pews. Carter and Marjorie were married first, Marjorie in the white linen gown Judith had embroidered for her own wedding, pale but lovely, with the particular loveliness that belongs to brides. Then Miss Cynthia, in her purple velvet gown and white hat, went up to the altar, beside Chandler's chair, and knelt while the brief service was said. It had not been planned, but Judith instinctively followed Miss Cynthia when she went, and held her hand all through the ceremony bridesmaid at the wedding that was to have been her own. Judith went back with Chandler walking beside him. Mr. and Mrs. Warner and the minister and his wife followed them. The others went in Carter's automobile. The feast was meant to be gay, but it was not. Wedding feasts seldom are, and everyone was relieved when it was over. The minister and his wife disappeared, then the Warners followed, 
uncle henry's joy at departure being painfully evident as he was not a visitin man the bride in purple velvet went to her new home in the car to be waiting at the door when her husband came with his attendant neither of them had seen the house marjorie and judith were left alone until the car should come to take marjorie back to chandler's while she changed her wedding gown for her street costume she was to wear into town marjorie spoke first oh judith she said with a laugh that was half a sob i'm so happy are you queried the older woman with a beautiful serene smile i'm glad i hope you always will be i'm sure you will be judith said marjorie with youth's unconscious cruelty don't you care i mean you couldn't have cared could you no said judith calmly i couldn't have cared the old pain stabbed at her heart for a moment then went away to return as she guessed more than once in the lonely days that lay ahead i'll say good-bye now if you don't mind she went on i've been driven mad by a headache almost all day i'll see you both often later on yes marjorie said lifting her face to be kissed you must come to us often good-bye the car was already humming and purring along the river road so marjorie went out to meet it and judith went upstairs glad to be alone at last from the safe shelter of aunt cynthia's room she saw carter assist his bride into the car and guessed by the quick glance he sent to the upper windows that marjorie had passed on her excuse i ought to have waited said judith to herself i could have been decent for fifteen more minutes i guess if i'd tried from below came the mournful clatter of dishes saddest sound on earth to those who dread the inevitable washing judith looked at her own white hands smooth and beautifully kept i'm spared that she thought i-i've been spared lots of things because it was her home and the only one she had judith had chosen to stay on alone in the old house for a time at least it seemed singularly desolate without aunt cynthia but judith told herself sternly that she was a grown woman not a child and that she mustn't let herself be lonely why she had everything except the one thing she wanted forcing back the tears she went out upon the balcony in pride of purple and pomp of gold the day and summer were dying together the thousand miles of splendor stretched away to the sea valleys full of silver mists hills veiled by amethystine haze a sunset lain down upon the earth to dream awhile and then to sleep i wonder if it's sunset for me too she thought or is there another day to come something chandler had told her once came back to her nobody could take away from her the things she had had they were hers securely beyond all chance of change and the things that were truly hers should come to her and abide with her forever not to be destroyed or taken away or lost and so she must be content she must learn to wait and keep on dreaming upon her loom of life she had worked out a single episode but it was not yet far enough out of the loom so that she could understand or even see the design to be a weaver of dreams to put the golden thread into the warp and woof of the fabric to make the best steadily of what little she might have to sink self in service and to find the wonderful way of life as it is written in terms of self-abandonment this lay before her now and with the golden thread to make a literal cloth of gold to transfigure even a gloomy fabric by the magic of dreams to spread this tapestry everywhere within her house of life 
to seek steadily for joy until she deserved it, even commanded it. Then mysteriously, from the far corners of the earth, it would come, as Chandler had said, and as his own life had proved. Slowly the glory died. On flame-bright hills the last light still lingered, but sadly, as though it was never to come again. A cold wind came from the east where light was born. Judith shivered a little, but she still stood there, thinking. The afterglow shone behind the trees, but faintly. In the midst of it was the pale gold crescent of the autumn moon. A star or two came out, the advance guard of that celestial army which was to set the heavens ablaze with javelins of silver light. Fallen leaves murmured, sending subtle fragrance afar into the dusk as they drifted across the road. A belated squirrel scampered madly across the garden on his way to his home in a hollow tree, stirring a cricket to shrill pipings of resentment which presently ceased. Tonight might have been so different, thought Judith, if, if it had been meant to be. Already her feet were firmly set upon the paths of peace. The things that are mine I shall have, she went on to herself, so I'll wait and dream till they come. Smiling, serene, and fully content, she turned and went in, alone. End of chapter 24 End of A Weaver of Dreams by Myrtle Reed Experience the best in relaxation and entertainment with Saul Good Streaming at SaulGood.org. Our extensive library features hundreds of audiobooks, thousands of short stories, original podcasts, and popular sounds for sleep, Meditation and relaxation all ad-free. Whether you want to escape into a good book or fall asleep to your favorite ambient sound, we have something for everyone. Go to solgood.org to start streaming and discover your new go-to for entertainment and relaxation. That's S-O-L-G-O-O-D dot O-R-G. Immerse in audio adventures at solgoodbooks.com. For $10 a month, dive into a sea of ad-free audiobooks. Let your ears lead you to new worlds and stories. Discover more at SaulGoodBooks.com and begin your auditory journey.